Hello, everybody. My name is Andrea Truejoy Fox, and I am so happy you could join me today for a moment of sharing, learning, and gathering. So today I am here to talk with you about some things that are very near and dear to my heart as a Blackfoot woman, as a teacher, and as a human being. So this month, we are in October. Lots of things have come up through sharing different moments of recognizing uh, certain important days in our Indigenous communities across Turtle Island. And these particular days that I'm going to talk about inspired me to reflect on my own journey as a Blackfoot woman and also looking at things from a collective mindset of how these two particular days are connected to our Indigenous communities. So the first day um, that I want to share some of my own reflections on is October 4th. As some of you may know, and some of you are still learning about these things, um, in this case, these particular days that we honor, October 4th is a day of honoring to recognize and create awareness and to speak out on, advocate for the injustices that have happened to Indigenous women and girls and diverse genders. And October 4th was designated as a day of remembrance for our missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and their families that have been affected by these acts of violence that have led to them being murdered or never being found. As an Indigenous woman, I often think of things from a very, well, actually, I'm going to say 99% of the time, I am keenly aware of what is going on in my surroundings from the position of looking at things as in, is this place safe? Is this space safe to be in? So I'll give you an example. You know, if I'm out somewhere in the city and if I'm by myself or if I'm with other Indigenous women like my nieces or my sisters or just any of us Native Indigenous women that are together, I'm always looking around at our surroundings to ensure that we are in a safe space. I'm always keeping an eye out for anyone who may look like they could pose as a danger to us as Native women because we have to look at things that way. It's unfortunate, but we are a affected by things that happen to us, things that happen to our Native women in our communities and in the cities on and off reserve. I don't have the privilege of sitting somewhere and just being one in 100% relaxation mode if I'm not at home. So if I'm in a public space, that's a lens that I often look through. Is this place safe? Am I in any sort of endangerment or are there certain factors that could put me in a dangerous and vulnerable position. Another example is when I go running. Well, I used to run by myself, but now I'm at a point where I just choose not to 
for the number one reason is safety. I always want to ensure that I'm with somebody else. And that way, if I ever encounter any sort of dangerous situations that I know I will be alone and I will also have someone to help me if need be. I also share my location wherever I'm going. If I am going somewhere, um, like if I do have to travel by myself, I will share my location on my phone with several people, friends and family, so they can always track where I'm going. This was a part of an important conversation that I had with one of our previous guests here on the podcast, Verna Voker, who is the founder of Native Women Running. Her and I had a chance to talk about this in the summer. We talked about how as Native women, we always have to be cautious and there are certain things we do to protect ourselves. So back in the winter of 2020, earlier this year, I traveled to the mountains by myself to attend an arts residency. And I was traveling later at night. That day I had meetings to attend and things that just um, didn't allow me to get on the road much sooner than I had hoped to. If I do travel alone, then I like to travel while there's still daylight. In this case, I wasn't able to. And the roads were very icy. There was lots of snow. Probably not the most wisest time to travel. However, I had to get to my destination so I could be ready to go early the next day when the program started. So I relied on my location service sharing on my phone, as well as making sure that my gas tank was full, checking my tires. I remember my dad was, and my parent, my mom and dad came by to stop by to see me as I was loading up my car and just, uh, they prayed with me to have a good journey. And my dad is checking my oil and he's checking my window washer fluid and my tire pressure, things that a dad will do for his daughter to make sure that she's safe. And so grateful. I'm so grateful to have such an amazing dad who always looks out for his family. And then of course, prayer. I very much relied on my faith and prayers to attend, to get to my destination safely. So, but I won't, I won't say that I wasn't somewhat anxious at times and uh, a little concerned, especially as the highway that I was traveling on became more isolated at certain points and the reception on my phone, the service was not there because I was going further into the mountains and just all those things. But that's where prayer is powerful because I prayed, I continued to pray on my way there, and I continued to think about everybody who was traveling with me in spirit, including my ancestors, my grandmothers, my grandfathers. So back to what I was saying, though, these are things that often as Nitsitapi Indigenous people and Nitsitapiakis Indigenous women, what we often think about and how we base our decisions, our daily decisions on often considering the safety of things. So as I was thinking about October 4th and all the trauma and tragedies and the violence that women in my communities across Turtle Island have endured and have disturbingly encountered, it is disturbing, it is sad, it's heartbreaking and I had some tears that day because I was sad and I was thinking of all of our women and the women that are still here with us today who have suffered these tragedies through violence. And I also was thinking of the families, the families who will never have closure to 
know where their family member disappeared to. I don't know what that's like, and my heart goes out to anybody who has ever experienced that and who is living with that sadness in their life. And as I continue to think about October 4th, I also started to think of all of our women, how strong we are and how resilient and empowered we are in all of our voices that are continuing to rise up through the noise and the genocide and the trauma of what has happened to us and what is continuing to happen to us, I started thinking about, wow, you know what? We are still here. We are so strong. We are incredibly powerful and beautiful. And we have so much that we have to offer to our children, our communities, our families, and the world. You know, it has been a true honor to be able to sit and share space with many women, all of the women who have been on my podcast so far this year, who have shared their stories. And every single one of them has shared stories of of overcoming adversity in their young lives, in their adult lives. They have shared stories of survival, the things that have happened to women in their families, in their communities, and they have also shared some powerful messages. At the end of the day, for me, what I've taken away from these powerful women and their voices is that there is strength within us. No matter what we go through and no matter what we have gone through and no matter what we will go through in this life, we have the power of our voice, we have the power of our ancestors, and we have the power of our communities and the power of healing. I've been so inspired by all of these women and I have so much gratitude for everything that they have shared with me and all of the listeners all over the world who are tuning into the podcast and who are able to take in all of this knowledge, these teachings, these life lessons, and these powerful messages that No matter who you are, at the end of the day, we are all human beings and we all have something to offer in this world and we all can overcome trauma. We can heal from trauma and we can continue to move through this life with purpose and use our gifts to elevate our voices so we can elevate the voices of others. As an Indigenous person, I'm always thinking of things from a collective mindset. You know, when I am speaking to people or when I'm engaged in different activities that involve contribution to policy or to gatherings around education and in education systems, I come from my personal experience. I come from my voice as a Blackfoot woman, and I also come from a collective mindset of thinking, okay, how is this going to support my community? Or how is this going to better help others who aren't from my community or who are not Indigenous to understand who Indigenous people are and the why, the why behind everything that we do, the why behind what has happened to us and the why behind, you know, the things that we are still struggling with in our communities. And it's For me, it's important that I look at things from a collective mindset. It helps me to remain connected to my communities, and it helps me to remember that I am also not alone. 
on this journey, that I walk with the voices and the strength of others, those who have gone on and and done some amazing things, incredible things that have helped advance our communities to move us through life forward, such as through education, through our culture, our language. And then I think of those who may not be here with us anymore, but who are still with us in that the teachings they have shared and left with us are still with us and live within us. And of course, the power of our ancestors, the spirit of our ancestors. And those are the things that help me to continue to do the work that I do, especially in education, as an educator, as an Indigenous educator, as a Blackfoot woman who has worked in various leadership capacities. I carry that strength with me and I feel confident in who I am and I remember that that is how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be confident in who we are and to go forward and to share what we have learned, to share the teachings and to pass them on to the next generations That's one of the beautiful gifts that I am so honored to be able to experience as a teacher is learning from my students, sharing the teachings with them that I have learned and honoring those who have taught me and be able to share those teachings with the next generation of leaders, the young people, children, adolescents, our youth. And it's so incredibly honoring, you know, and I also get to learn from them. That's the thing about being a teacher is for me, while I am there in these learning spaces, as much as I'm teaching my students, I'm also learning from them and I am learning with them. And so I wanted to share these thoughts that I reflected on and in my journal. Journaling is very powerful. It really helps us to see what we're thinking. It's one thing when we're thinking, right? And sometimes, especially when we're going through a difficult time, you know, we can get really deep into our thoughts where sometimes you go down a rabbit hole and you start thinking and the more you think, the more you feel and the more you feel, the more sometimes you stay in that place of sadness or hurt or anger or whatever it is, you know, that feeling that you are going through and the things you're going through. And it's powerful to feel our emotions and to acknowledge them and to honor them. It's also a wonderful tool to be able to heal from what we're going through is to write our words down. When we write our words down, we see what we are thinking. And by seeing what we are thinking, we can also gain another perspective, kind of like on the outside looking in. We can see where our thoughts are at and what it is that maybe we need to address more in our life that we aren't addressing when we have moments that trigger us or breakdowns or difficult moments that make it hard to feel happy or to look at all the beauty around us and all the love and support around us. And so journaling is something that I love to recommend for people to try. It helps and it's just a really beautiful way to express ourselves. 
When I journal, these are things that I think about. And when I was thinking and praying and reflecting on October 4th, I was thinking about all of these things. I was thinking about our women. I was thinking about the women that I come from, my mother, my grandmothers, my maternal and paternal grandmothers, their mothers, and the stories that are connected to who these women are and were in this world and their stories of survival, their stories of resilience and strength. And I'm so grateful that because of their resilience and their strength, I am here today. I am able to be here today. And these are things that I love to share with my students. The conversations that we would have are moments that I forever will hold close to my heart. Just sitting in circle and sharing and laughing and talking about our histories, our lineages, where we come from, our families, and the strength of our women. I uh, want to just share a little story with you. There was a time where I was teaching a group of middle school boys. When I was teaching the boys in the art class, I noticed that they were having a lot of conflict with each other. There were things that were happening within their dynamics, even in friendship or some situation where some bullying was starting to happen. And I talk to them. I had to think though, okay, how am I going to teach these young boys how to treat each other with care and respect and love? Right now, there's a lot of discourse around male toxic masculinity that is going on in the communities, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, but I'll speak to and from an Indigenous perspective here. A lot of this is connected to what happened to our men and our boys in residential schools and how their male identities were suppressed and oppressed and the abuse that happened, you know, and then it trickles down to these next generations, my generation and the next generation, you know, and that's where we're at in our communities where our focus on healing is our for our women and girls and our men and the boys as well. So I started thinking, okay, how am I going to help and guide these youth to be able to care for one another, to demonstrate caring, and to accept caring from one another. And when we can start from a place of compassion and caring, then we can start to see the other important values align with that, such as respect, honesty, kindness. And so at this time... I remember the October 4th was near, you know, it was the start of the year in September and I was immediately recognizing that they were having a lot of conflict with each other and some of them were expressing it through physical action and some were using their words, you know, even in the hallways, you could see that there were things that were going on and how they were being disrespectful to each other. And so I thought about it and I thought, okay, if I can perhaps guide them to think about the females in their lives, how much they care for them. Many of them being raised by their moms, their mothers, some of them raised by their grandmothers, their aunties, or even older sisters. And they're at the age where they are still so very receptive in listening to how they can behave respectfully from a young mindset. I believe they were 11, around the, I'd say between the ages of 10 and 12 years old. 
And I had talked with them. What I did was I told them one day, I said, I had this beautiful big brown carpet, looked like a buffalo robe. And everybody always liked to sit on it in my classroom and they would pick a book or some of them just needed some time to reflect or space by themselves. They would go to the other side of the room. I had a beautiful, huge room where I taught uh, art class from. And on the other side of the room was where they could just pick a book and read or just have some time to themselves. So I had them all gather one day and around the carpet and we all sat together in a circle and I just told them some stories about some of my stories growing up and, you know, how I saw the world kind of around their age at the time and as a way to connect with them because I think sometimes children and youth tend to think of adults as very far away from who they are. In some cases, you know, I, I understand that. And then it's also good for us as adults to remember to remind our children and youth, you know what? I was your age once. I was young once, like you. And I saw the world from a different perspective at times or, you know, and also there's beauty in that. A side note here, they also remind us to keep our mind and our heart young, young at heart and our mind, because that allows us to always remain open to learning. It allows us to remember to be playful and to not take life so seriously. (laughs) Because as adults, we definitely carry the weight of larger responsibilities compared to children for the most part. And therefore, sometimes we can get caught up in that and, you know, we can take life too seriously. And this is something that I always remind myself to. Don't take everything so seriously. But anyways, so I had reminded these boys, you know, these, these, this class of mine, I was your age once. And sometimes this is how I saw the world, or this is how I understood the world around me and the people in it. And I shared some stories with them and they really were listening and taking in what I was sharing. And then I thought, you know what, this is a wonderful moment and opportunity for me to now share with them also how good it feels to be kind to others and also to help remind them that as males, they are in a position to be able to help protect our women and girls. And so that's how I introduced them to what I was going to talk to them about, which was October 4th, the day that we honor and remember our missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And I told them, I want you to all close your eyes right now. And I want you to, as you're sitting here, think about some of the girls and women in your life, or even if it's one person, it could even be a teacher, it could be your auntie, it could be your grandmother, your mother, your sister, someone that you really care for, who is a, a woman or a girl. And I want you to think how you would do everything you could to protect them and how you always want to see them be safe. And, and, you know, I told them when you, when you can think of this person, keeping your eyes closed, raise your hand and just put it to your heart. And that tells me, that shows me that you have somebody in mind that you're thinking of. And if you're really stuck for someone, you can think of me, Miss Fox. And so they gave them a few moments and then they all ended up putting their hand on their heart. And then I knew they were at a place now of where they were calm, they were grounding their spirits, they were 
ready to listen, to be open, and to share, and so and to connect. And then I talked to them. I said, okay, well, the way that you feel for them, all of the love you have for them, how you care for them, how special they are to you, and how you would never want to see anything terrible happen to them, I want you to now consider, because I don't believe in telling people what to do, even children and youth, they need to be able to be empowered to make their own decisions. However, I will guide and inform and share teachings. And so I ask them to consider how good that would feel if you all treated each other that way. If you all showed caring for each other instead of acting out rage or anger to one another or expressing yourself using violence, forms of violence, even if it's verbal. And then I had them all create a doll in honor of the women in their lives and as a way to create awareness for October 4th, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Day of Honoring and Remembrance. And then they all picked somebody that they knew. Some of them picked their grandmothers, some picked their moms, their mothers, their sisters, their aunties. Some of them picked their teachers. But they all had somebody special that they picked They created a doll based on who that person was, and they were very proud. This exercise took us a couple classes, and I will tell you the attention to detail, the thought put into everything that they did to design their dolls was so beautiful and inspiring, and it just, it filled my heart with so much warmth and hope because I know that it is our next generation of boys and men who are making the changes that are necessary and vital to helping to protect our women and girls in our communities, in our families. And so I saw how much care they invested in these dolls, and they were so proud of them. What we ended up doing was, I asked them, because as a teacher, I believe in collaboration, not only with other teachers, but also with the students. The students need to be involved with decision-making. While we are there to facilitate and nurture learning environments for students, I believe it's so important that we also include them and create space for them at the table to make decisions pertaining to their education. I had asked them, what do you think of us sharing what, you know, all of your beautiful art that you created, these dolls, what do you think if we were to share what you have created? And they all said they would love to share them. You know, I could see the pride beaming in their eyes. And then they decided they would like them to go at the front of the school, in front of the library. So I had asked our principal and librarian, you know, would it be possible for us to display their dolls here at the front in the school foyer so anybody coming through those doors would be able to see this beautiful artwork created by these boys art class and that would invoke, inspire dialogue around what was it these boys created and I'm sure the boys went home and talked about it with their families and that brought connection and communication between their families in whichever way they wanted to share about the art they were making because many of them had told me teacher I went home and I was so happy I told my mom that I made a doll that looked just like her or Miss Fox I can't wait to show my grandma when she comes for parent-teacher interviews this is my doll that I made in honor of her and that just made me so happy and I will tell you this 
going through that cultural activity and teaching experience with these boys, I noticed that their behaviors towards each other started to change. It started to shift the way they communicated with each other in a more gentle, less aggressive, more caring manner towards each other. And that just made me so happy. And I I would point that out every now and then. I would say, you know what, boys? Like, aren't you just so happy that we come to class, you get to come to class and you have friends in here or you're in a a space where everybody matters and you guys are kind to each other. Don't you feel so good about that? It's a place where you can look forward to going to and you know that you're going to be treated with respect and you are going to hold each other accountable. We would have conversations like that and they taught me a lot and they inspired me with my teaching practices. I wanted to share that with you because I wanted to acknowledge that there are men in our communities, boys and men, males in our communities that are aligning with us women and are supporting us and are moving away from unhealthy attitudes and actions towards our women and who are changing the way that men have treated women because of colonialism, colonial oppression, genocide, residential schools, all the unhealthy disturbing things that we had been taught in residential school as a means of survival. All of that is connected to the histories of residential schools and colonialism, how it has negatively impacted our peoples. I wanted to share that little story of hope with you because that did give me hope. That gave me hope that, yes, there is a new generation of boys and men that are coming up and who are learning from their fathers, their mothers, their grandparents, the people in their families that are helping them to learn and understand what healthy relationship looks like and the importance of taking care of our Indigenous women and girls and protecting each other and being kind to one another and that we don't need to express ourselves through masculine toxicity in order to assert who we are or to bring our voices forward in this world. I I wanted to share that story with you and I have great hope in wherever the journeys take these boys that I had the honor of teaching that year. As we think about October 4th, you know, it's not just one day of the year either. I wanted to express that, especially for our families that have been deeply and impacted firsthand by these tragedies. It's every day that your family member is missing or that they were murdered, remembering them, the sadness, the grieving, the loss, all of that that is connected to losing someone to such a tragic and horrible way. It's living with that every day and learning how to heal and cope and grieve. I dedicate this episode to our women and girls and families who have been impacted by the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, the violence. I think of everybody impacted and I have gratitude for those that are out there who are protesting, who are showing up at the marches, who are promoting the awareness and education and speaking out on these injustices that continue to happen to us as a people and to our women and girls. I honor those families and women. And a reminder to all of our women and girls who are listening and and the men, you may be raising daughters or looking out for your sisters, your grandmothers, your mothers, your wives, your friends. Take extra care. Always be connected. Let people know where you're going. 
Try not to go to places alone. Unfortunately, we don't have that privilege to do so because there are predators out there. There are people out there who do want to harm Indigenous women and girls. And so we need to look out for each other and we need to continue to advocate for one another and make smart choices so that we can stay safe and continue to call forward those in leadership to help stop these injustices from happening to us because it is nobody's fault. That's what I want to say. It's nobody's fault that any of this has ever happened to them. So these are things to think about and things that happened on my mind when I was thinking and reflecting on October 4th. And so I wanted to address and talk about another day that I have been reflecting on, which is October 12th. October 12th has been a day that has been designated as Indigenous Peoples Day throughout Turtle Island in response to Christopher Columbus, who made claim that this beautiful place we know as Turtle Island was discovered on October 12th, some time ago, when in fact, really, all of the history that is connected to that and all of the genocide and everything that followed after we encountered people like Christopher Columbus, who caused harm on our communities, on our nations, who murdered us, who raped us, who oppressed us. I think it's beautiful that we choose to celebrate who we are and celebrate our histories and honor our cultures and each other on this day. And I also want to say, you know, every day for us is Indigenous Peoples Day. Every day we are Indigenous and we live that every day, 365 days a year. And that looks different for so many of us, you know, because we come from so many different cultures and we all have our histories, our connections to the land, our creation stories, our languages. Some of us are on reserves. Some of us are located off reserve in the cities or towns. Bottom line is we are the first peoples of this land and the stewardship that is attached to that, our histories, the removal of us, you know, when we were put onto reserves, our reservations, things have changed. It's 2020 and yet some things remain. And what remains is, unfortunately, is racism, ignorance, violence enacted on Indigenous people and murder. Genocide continues on us as a people. When I think of days like this, I think of how much we have overcome. And I think for me personally, I take these types of designated days to just to continue to be part of the discourse around educating and creating awareness on what is happening in our communities, what has happened in our histories, and also to celebrate and to tell the world, to show and share with the world that, you know what, we are still here. This is who we are. We are beautiful. We are strong. We are empowered. We are gifted. We have purposes to fulfill in this world. We are healing from what has happened to us and what is happening to us. We are speaking our truths. We are addressing traumas. We are addressing the hard things that are not easy to talk about in our communities, in our families. And we are still here. Still we are here. And we have children and babies to raise and young people to help as they continue through this journey and make their way and discover what their gifts are and what their purposes are in this world and how they can fulfill those. There's so much responsibility 
being an Indigenous person, being an Indigenous woman, being an Indigenous educator, being an Indigenous student. There's so much responsibility that each of us holds and it's a gift and sometimes it can feel like a burden too, you know, especially when we're going through our own hardships and somehow, some way we are put in positions where we are educating and creating awareness about who we are as a people and our communities. Meanwhile, some of us may be grieving in those moments at the same time or working through our own traumas. We are strong people and I am so proud of all of the beautiful incredible, smart, driven, ambitious, accomplished Indigenous people out there all over. Younger, older, men, women, diverse genders, everybody. There's some amazing work that is happening out there and that is helping to break the cycles of violence, the cycles of unhealthy relationships, the cycles that have trickled down from intergenerational trauma, and also the way that society misunderstands who we are or misinterprets or miseducates who our people are in our histories, our cultures. Every single one of us is doing very important work. And I I want to say that, I want to acknowledge that, regardless of what our story is, we all have something to do in this world and we all have very important things to do and we are all very important people. I always remind my students of that because whether they were in grade one or in grade 12, you know, I always taught my students and shared with them that you are important, we are important. And no matter what our story is, you know, if we've gone through trauma or we have lost people that we have loved, you know, or we have been in a place of self-doubt at times, we are strong and we are important and we have so much to do in this world. I look at days like October 12th as well as June 21st. That's also another designated Indigenous Peoples Day. It's a moment to stop from our busy world. We're all busy and life gets us busy and we get swept up in that sometimes. I also appreciate days like this where we can just stop for a moment and pause and reflect and celebrate how far we have come in our individual journeys and also in our communities. I want to say, yeah, wow. I am proud of what I achieved this year, or I am proud of my family or my community, or I'm proud to be Indigenous because I'm still here, because I'm so smart, because I overcame things that were barriers or tried to hinder my growth and development as a person. I am still here, and we are. We are still here. These two days have been on my mind thinking about everything and everyone who's part of this and also those that walk with us and celebrate us and who align with us, you know, our non-Indigenous friends who are out there and who are helping to share awareness and who are calling out the injustices of people in their own communities or families that have been misinformed and miseducated. These are two days that I have been thinking about and reflecting on, and I've really appreciated the engagement I have seen, the posts that are being shared on social media, the conversations that I have had the honor of sharing with other Indigenous people, educators, and women, and friends, and my non-Indigenous friends who have reached out, and who stand beside me, and who walk with me, and who are doing the work to really understand 
to learn and to become more aware of how they can help break the cycles of violence, the cycles of assumptions and how Indigenous people are treated in society. Thank you to all of you, for every single one of you out there who is doing the work, because it is not easy. It is darn hard work. There's days where I would come home and I would feel exhausted inside out, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted from doing a workshop, leading a workshop on helping people understand more about Indigenous people, Blackfoot ways of knowing, but yet I believe in it and it's important work. I also do things that help me to fill my cup back up, things that help me rejuvenate my mind, body, and spirit. Connecting in nature is one of the things I love to do. I go outside, I connect with nature, I take in the sounds, my senses open up, I unplug for a while and just connect and work to be present. I also love reading books. I have so many books that are on my to-read list and I have read so many this past summer and I'm still reading some that are tied to my research as a thesis graduate student, but also as a teacher and as an artist and just as a bookworm, (laughs) an avid bookworm. You know, there's so much I love to read. I love reading fiction and nonfiction. I mean, listen to me here. I could go on and on about books, but I do want to share a few of the books that I have read and some that I'm in the middle of reading right now. There is In My Moccasins. I read this. It's a memoir of resilience by Helen Knott. Such an incredible and beautiful, powerful story. Be sure to pick that one up. I am working through Tanya Talaga's All Our Relations right now. I'm also working through Maria Campbell's Half-Breed. And my friend, my good friend, and she was also on the podcast as well, Francine Cunningham. I loved reading her book of poetry on me. I really enjoyed and appreciated reading Annie May's Movement by Yvette Nolan. That's a powerful story and well-written play. I suggest you find that, order it, and read it. It definitely gives you lots to think about of the not-so-distant past of how Indigenous women's roles were in movements that were happening like in the 70s. And then, of course, uh, Firekeepers. I had the honor of working with Dr. Cora Voyager. She's an incredible woman, scholar, and leader. And this is a very important book. It's called Firekeepers of the 21st Century, First Nations Women Chiefs. So those are just a few of the female authors that I have been reading and learning from. I'm so honored to know some of them, call them my friends and or mentors. And there's so much incredible literature out there. I will be doing a few book series episodes coming up. And there's a few authors that I have booked as well that will be here on the show. And I won't say just who yet, but I'm so excited and thrilled to have these conversations of a couple of the authors that I really respect and that I know personally and who are doing some amazing things that are contributing to the advancement of Indigenous literature. I will put all these books that I just listed here in my episode notes so you can look them up and purchase them online or from the authors. Another book that I recently read was Calling My Spirit Back. That's a 
beautiful, powerful story by Elaine Alec. Stay tuned for her episode. She will be coming up here in the season as well on Talks with the Fox podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. I don't want to give away too much because, well, when you hear the episode, you'll just enjoy listening to her and learning from her. I want to thank you for listening and tuning in, and I welcome your thoughts, your feedback, any questions that you have. I really appreciate those that, you know, message me or email us and send in their inquiries, their curiosities around things that we've talked about or things they want to know more about and or connect with resources to facilitate further knowledge and understandings around Indigenous peoples and histories. So please do continue to send those my way, and I will do my best to connect you with the people and resources that can continue to help you with your learning journey. I want to finish off today with teaching some more Blackfoot. (laughs) Are you ready? Okay, here we go. I'm going to teach you four Blackfoot words. And these words I felt were connected to what this episode's focus is on, honoring our women and girls and our nations, you know, celebrating our cultures and histories. And since we are in the month of October, I thought, okay, I will teach you how to say October. So that'll be our first word. Okay. Are you ready? October. And that means when leaves fall. Okay, so as we can look around, fall is one of my most favorite seasons, autumn. You know, when everything is changing and transitioning, you know, just like us. You know, we're moving into a new season, new beginnings, and we're shedding the old and releasing what needs to be released. And we are getting ready for a new season. Okay, so the next word is grandmother. Nachsa means grandmother. Nachsa. And the next word is agi. Woman. Woman is agi. Okay? And that's how we say woman in Blackfoot. Agi. Okay, and the next word is girl. So this is how you say girl in Blackfoot. Agikwan, Agikwan, girl, Agikwan. So those are the four Blackfoot words. I'll go over them one more time. October, when the leaves fall, is toitsi bi gayi nipist. Grandmother, nachsa. Woman, agi. Girl, Agikwan. Okay, so that takes us to the end of today's sharing, and I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your month as we move into mid-months here and as we prepare for winter, which is just around the corner. (laughs) All right, my dear friends and family, thank you for tuning in, and remember to embrace all that is good around you. And ask for help when you need help. Connect with someone that you love and who is important to you. Send them a text. Pick up the phone. 
call them and tell them that you love them. You know, it's important that we do those things because it not only makes us feel good, it makes them feel good. So call your grandmother, send your friend a heartwarming text just to let them know you're thinking about them and have a beautiful, blessed day. Ka dakiramatsen.